There we go. Hey, it's a joy to be back here. Um, we, we're uh, privileged to come visit Walloon Lake Community Church, uh, usually every January, and my wife Carla is here with me this weekend. And uh, thanks so much for your partnership with us and your support uh, for our ministry down in the Detroit area, a lot in the world of sports, but not exclusively uh, in that world. Um, I thought I'd mention a website to you. Uh, if you have someone in your family that likes sports, especially if you've got kids, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Sports Spectrum. Uh, I'd encourage you to check out the website, and you also can get then the hard copy magazine. It's kind of like, it's done very well. Uh, it's kind of like a Sports Illustrated, covers amateur as well as professional sports from a Christian perspective. And so if you know someone that likes sports, I'd encourage you to check out the website, and then if you want to, uh, even the hard copy of the magazine. Thanks for your prayers for what we're doing in Detroit, a lot with the Tigers, of course, and uh, in a few weeks, guys will be down in spring training and uh, families. Uh, Carla and I will go down there for a good part of March, and we do chapels, but we also do my favorite thing of the year, really, is we do a Bible study in one of the players' homes and invite every major league, minor league player in camp, uh, wives, girlfriends, whoever's there, and we do a, a weeknight uh, Bible study with them. And it really is a highlight because there are kids there uh, that are in their very first ever spring training, and then there are guys like uh, Matt Boyd, uh, Kerry Carpenter, Will Vest, who are on the Detroit Tiger big league team. And uh, it's just a wonderful time uh, together in the Word of God. So I appreciate your prayers for that. Hey, um, uh, on the table in the uh, lobby, there are some baseball cards. Pick them up if you like. On the back, there are no baseball stats, but there's uh, guys' stories of faith in Christ uh, in a very condensed version uh, that you can read. So there's four or five cards in there. And then there's a little uh, fridge magnet to our website that will tell you about the outreach event. We'll do this June 10th at Comerica Park. You can buy tickets individually or as a group, uh, but uh, June 10th we'll do a big outreach where players will come up for the game, share their faith. Then there's an on-the-field baseball clinic, so you actually get to go on the outfield grass and then uh, stay for the game. So you can check out all those things if you like. And then one last thing before we get into the Word of God. Um, oh, I, I do want to say this. I really uh, appreciate so much uh, Jeff and Denise. Uh, you have a wonderful pastor and staff, and uh, they're always an encouragement uh, to us. And so um, just know that we continue to pray for Jeff's recovery, and uh, I know he's a blessing to you folks here. Uh, and then one last thing. After the service last week, I actually got to go over to Green Bay for the Lions game. How many watched the game? Uh, how many are Lions fans here? How many are Green Bay fans? You can admit it. Only one? I think some others are not being honest. But uh, so they gave away when you went in a little uh, headband. And I'm not going to wear that. So I want to give it away. So who's a Packer fan here that would like a headband? Okay. Are you a Packer fan? Okay. Come and get right with God and I'll give this to you. Come on up. <laughs> How about tell me, you want to pass that back to her? Do you mind? Thanks. Thanks. There you go. So, hey, uh, we're, uh, we looked last week uh, in, uh, in two letters, uh, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And we want to go back there today and kind of uh, continue on some of the themes that we were looking at. 
So um, uh, by way of um, uh, overview, uh, Peter wrote these two letters, and that's what they are, their letters. And we don't know where he wrote them from. Some think he may have been trying to conceal his location because of Roman persecution that was happening. But Peter writes these two letters, and in uh, chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 Peter, the first letter, uh, he identifies cities where he was writing them to. And they're all in what we would know as present-day Turkey. Uh, and these were, it says it right in the verse, these were Christians who had gone to Turkey as a result of the dispersion or the, the persecution that happened in Jerusalem where Christians there had to scatter. And so these probably were people that Peter knew from the church in Jerusalem uh, who had been scattered. He hadn't seen, now he hadn't seen them in a number of years, most likely, but he was writing this letter of spiritual <clears throat> encouragement to them. And um, the first letter he writes, most think in 64 AD. And then the second letter, about three, year, three years later, in 67 AD. Uh, the, the second letter, uh, we know that he writes shortly before his own death, when he's martyred for his faith in Christ. In chapter 1 of the second letter, and verse number 14, he says, it's about time for me to put my body off soon, meaning he kind of knew he was under a death sentence. And so most think he probably wrote that days, weeks uh, before his martyrdom. Uh, both books uh, kind of have the same theme. And Peter gives that uh, uh, theme to us at the end of each letter. In chapter, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12, he says this, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God Stand firm in it. I love that little statement there. He's saying, um, uh, I want to make sure that you're on solid ground. And you understand God's grace in your life. And you're, you're firm in that. And I mentioned last week, if you go through the book, and I'd like to highlight my Bible. Uh, there really are some words that are used quite a bit. In the first part of the book, the word salvation is found many times. And so the first part of that letter, he's writing about uh, the grace of God is what provides our salvation. And uh, I hope you understand and know that. We are not saved by works, but by grace through faith in Christ. And so he covers that in the first part of the letter. In the middle part of the letter, a word that's uh, repeatedly used, is the word submit or submit a uh, submission. And the idea there is there's an obedience that comes as a follower of Christ. And, uh, and that it takes God's grace to live in that obedience. And then in the last part of that first letter, and this is kind of where we'll land today, uh, a word that's used like 20 times in the letter is the word suffering. And he's going to talk quite a bit about that. Uh, in the second letter, at the very end of the, the letter, he says this in chapter 3, verse 17. Take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. He's saying don't get tripped up. Uh, don't fall. Uh, don't lose your balance. 
And so the, the messages of both letters not only apply to the idea of suffering, but really to all parts of our life. So maybe you're going through a period of struggle or suffering now. Uh, this passage we look at today applies to you. It will give you and me stability in those times. Maybe you're not. But whatever life has for you right now, you need the stability of God's grace. And these two letters are, is why Peter wrote them. is so that we might gain the stability as a Christian, and then we might not lose that stability and that, that foothold that we have. So uh, we go now to chapter 4, and verse number 12 is where we'll begin. And let me just say this at the outset. Uh, we really are blessed where we live, I think, uh, when it comes to suffering, uh, in the respect that we don't have a lot of it. Now, whether that's a blessing or not, we'll let the passage maybe address that a little bit. But we do not face the same persecution and suffering as many parts uh, of the world have and many Christians' faith. I've had the privilege to go over to India four times to teach at a uh, Bible institute for pastors, and uh, they talk about some of the suffering they face from uh, persecution physically, uh, economically, and in other ways as well. And so I'm mindful that when we talk about suffering, uh, we may not face it like others in the world do, but the principles in dealing with it, I think, are the same from the Word of God. So uh, there are four things in this passage that Peter writes and says about suffering. So here's the first one in verse number 12. He says, Beloved, and I love that, that he starts this section out with that word. It means one who's loved, uh, a brother, a sister in Christ. Uh, the idea is, do you know when you go through suffering, what you really need uh, in your life are relationships. Relationships with other Christians. Uh, coming to church, building the body of Christ is all about relationships that are needed all the time, but they're especially vital when we go through times of suffering. I, I hope you never go through a time of suffering alone. Uh, reach out to someone. Say, hey, this is what I'm going through. Pray for me. I need to be encouraged. I'm struggling. Uh, and so he begins with a word that really emphasizes the idea of relationship. Beloved, do not be surprised. And that's our first point. When it comes to suffering, don't be surprised when it comes to you. Because you will have it and I will have it. We all will face some sort of suffering in this life. Uh, the word there uh, for surprised in the Greek language which the New Testament is written is the word xenos. Can anyone think of something we get in our English language from that word? Xenophobia. And xenophobia has been in the news some over the last few years, uh, used in different ways. But the idea of being afraid of a foreigner. The meaning of it here is don't view suffering as something foreign. It is part of life. You're not going to go through life free of any suffering. And so don't be shocked. 
Don't be surprised when it comes. We all will have times and periods in our life of suffering. And then he says this, as the fiery trial, uh, when it comes upon you to test you. And so the word fiery there is another word we're familiar with. It's the word pyro, and it means fire. Now, um, I think this is accurate from my study, but is it 100% conclusive? I'm not sure. Uh, There are a few different thoughts out there. But uh, there's some important dates that relate to this book. At the time that Peter wrote it, the emperor of Rome was a guy named Nero. How many of you ever heard of Nero? Okay. And uh, Nero loved to build new buildings. And one of the stories is that I lean toward is that uh, he wanted to build a new palace. And he picked out a great section of town where he wanted to build it. Only problem was, there were some people living in that section of town who had houses and businesses there. And so one of the theories is that in July of 64 AD, uh, Nero set that part of Rome on fire to get him out. And the fire spread and much of Rome was burned, called the Great Fire. There's some reports that even as people tried to put it out, the palace guard prevented it. And uh, that's where we get the phrase uh, that Nero what? Fiddled while Rome burned. And, um, and so uh, Nero, when it happened, uh, the populace, the people were, up, were enraged. And so now Nero needed someone to blame. And so guess who he picked? He picked the Christians. Uh, They weren't liked in town. They weren't persecuted yet at that point. Uh, But he picked the Christians. And one of the reasons he picked them is part of what is written in 2 Peter. The Christians were always talking about one day the world would be destroyed by what? Fire. And so the Christians, uh, that began a 300-year persecution uh, by the Roman Empire of Christians. Uh, Nero, reports say, would then take, uh, in the aftermath of that, uh, actually took Christians and uh, used them as human torches to light the imperial gardens while they were still alive, and of course killed them. And so when Peter writes this, the idea of this fiery trial, uh, whether he wrote it shortly before this happened, or I tend to think afterwards, and he had heard what was going on in Rome, and he's writing to these people up here in what we know as present-day Turkey, saying, hey, whether they even heard about it yet or not, we don't know, but he's saying, hey, persecution is coming. Trials are coming. There's going to be times of suffering. And folks, don't run from it. Don't be surprised by it. It is part of life. Now, whether we face that type of persecution here in my lifetime or in generations to come, who knows? But I do know this, suffering will come to each of our lives, and some are going through it right now. And God says, don't be surprised by it. Uh, understand, you don't have to run from it. Don't, be, uh, don't treat it as a foreigner. It is part of the human life to go through times of suffering. And I think I said it last week, The way a Christian handles suffering, I think, is one of the greatest witnesses 
to those who don't know Christ. Because we can have, through Christ, the ability to handle it differently. So, here's the second thing he says then, uh, in, uh, chap- in uh, verse 13 of chapter 4. He says, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Any words strike you in that verse? Rejoice, be glad, rejoice again. Does that verse remind you of anything Jesus said? If you go back to Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, here's what it says in Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12, where Jesus taught the people on the mount, and Peter most likely was there. And it says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's probably a quote that Peter remembered, and it's kind of paraphrasing now in his letter. And what I really like about that is... Um, what Peter heard probably 35 years earlier is something now that he's calling to mind in this letter. You know, we hear messages all the time. You may be sitting here today saying, hey, suffering, I'm good right now. And uh, who knows what you hear in a message uh, in the past or now that kind of gets plugged away, and then at the right time, you know what God does? Hey, this is what you need right here. And so you may not be suffering today, but uh, when it comes, and don't be surprised, it will come. God's got words for you right here. And so the idea here is, don't be scared of it. Don't be afraid of the suffering that comes. Someone, a friend of mine has said, uh, hey, life's tough, and then you die. (laughs) And isn't that true? And for the Christian, as Paul said, when we die, we are going to be what? Better off. And so whatever suffering you can throw at you know, a person, for the Christian, it's like, this is temporal here. Uh, what awaits us is far better. And Paul even says in Philippians 1, I don't know if it's better for me to stay here or to leave. Anyone looking to die, he wanted to live his life out. But you know what he said? It's far better for me to be in heaven one day. And when that time comes, don't ask me to come back because I'm not interested. And we often think, you know, when a loved one dies, oh, they're going to miss out on this, this, and this. I guarantee you, if that person's a Christian and you could ask them, do you want to come back to earth? Guess what the answer is going to be? Hey, I'm good. No thanks. And folks, don't be scared of suffering. Uh, When it comes to our life on earth, for the Christian, something far better and more glorious awaits us. Um, There's a movie that uh, I've seen, and I really like the book better than the movie. And maybe you saw it, it's a true story written by Laura Hillenbrand, uh, the gal who wrote really a great movie and book, the the movie Seabiscuit. How many know that? About the racehorse 
And she also wrote another one in 2010 called Unbroken. And it's the true story of a, a young man who grew up in L.A. Uh, he became an Olympian. He competed in the 1936 Olympics in Berlin uh, in the 5,000-meter run, finished eighth, uh, named uh, Louis or Louis uh, Saperino. Uh, and uh, how many know the story or have seen the movie? I encourage you to get it if you uh, haven't seen it. Uh, but uh, in World War II, after he ran in the Olympics, he was in World War II, and in May of 1943 of that year, uh, his plane went down in the Pacific. Uh, he was uh, on the sea in a raft for like 43 days, eventually captured by the Japanese and put into a prison camp. And the story of uh, the movie and the book Unbroken tell a lot of what he went through and uh, much of the suffering that he faced uh, under the hand of uh, one of the, the guards, uh, one in particular, that was nicknamed The Bird. And I brought just a quick little movie clip from a scene from that movie that actually is a deleted scene. It wasn't in the movie. And uh, so this is one they cut out. And just to give you the background to it, uh, this, uh, this guard, uh, The Bird, is challenging the imprisoned American officers as to why they wouldn't work. And um, the Geneva Convention says that uh, officers didn't have to work. And so one officer in particular, right before the scene I'm going to show you, is beaten by the bird uh, with a stick. And then uh, Louis going to speak up uh, to his view of this suffering. And so let's show this real quick. I'll volunteer. Can't order an officer to work, but I'll volunteer. Volunteer. That's good. Yes. You may all volunteer. Guess what? We get to volunteer to suffer. Now, I'm not looking for it. But you know when it comes, our attitude is what the verse says here. Be glad and what? Rejoice. I mean, that's what it says. And so while none of us have on our bucket list for this week or our list of things to do, I want to suffer this week. No one wants that. But folks, when it comes, don't be scared of it. It's okay, Lord. I'm here. What do you want to, how do you want to use it in my life? How do you want to use it in the lives of others? And, um, and so the idea, God's calling me to suffer, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to go through it in a way that brings honor and glory to him. And so here's the third lesson then that we learn uh, in dealing with suffering. In verse 14 through 18, it says this, um, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let's just stop there before we read the rest of the passage. Here's what we learn. Uh, when suffering comes, uh, don't be surprised by it. Don't be scared of it. 
And here's what I learned in this passage, is trust the Spirit. For a Christian, we're told the Spirit of God lives in us. And so you do not go through suffering alone. The Spirit of God goes through it with us. That phrase there that we read where it says, the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Many translate it this way, the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. And so as a Christian, in whom the Spirit dwells, uh, we don't go through it alone. And uh, this reference that Peter writes is probably recalling to his mind and putting it here, uh, a passage from Isaiah chapter 11. And I'm going to put it up here on the screen. Isaiah 11 says this, And the Spirit of our Lord, of the Lord shall rest upon him. That same phrase is used. Here it's speaking of how the Spirit of God would come and rest upon Christ. And the same way it did upon Christ, it does for Christians. He does for Christians. And then it says this in Isaiah 11. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Uh, when you and I go through times of suffering in our lives and we really trust the Spirit, guess what he provides? Those things listed right there. Uh, you need strength to get through it, he gives you the might. Uh, you need wisdom, he's the one. Get into the Word. The Spirit of God teaches it to us. Uh, you need counsel, knowledge. The Spirit is the one we trust as we go through times of suffering. And we don't go through it uh, alone. Um, then it says uh, in the passage we read next uh, that we're reading, verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Now there are four things mentioned there. Um, you ever play that game like what doesn't fit? Of those four, what doesn't seem to fit? Murderer, thief, evildoer, hey, you're meddling. And uh, it's an interesting word. We, we don't know a lot about it. Uh, some think it, it's the way we would use it today, the idea of uh, butting into other people's affairs. Uh, and if that's true, it's saying there, you know, uh, don't suffer. If you suffer because of sin, uh, that's on you. Uh, you're bringing that upon yourself. And uh, the idea of uh, meddling compared to the other three is God cares about all sin. The ones that we would classify as big sins uh, versus the one that we might think of, well, that's kind of a minor thing. It's all sin. Uh, another thought on that word meddling is the idea of like sampling. And he's saying there, don't be a person who goes around sampling all different types of sin. Uh, and so we're told here uh, that if we suffer for Christ's sake uh, at work, uh, in our community, uh, in, some, in some countries by the government, we're blessed. But then if you're suffering because of sin that you're committing in your life, don't praise God for that. Deal with the sin aspect of it. And then it goes on to say in the next verse, 
if anyone suffers as a Christian. Uh, this is one of three times in the New Testament where the word Christian is used, the name. Twice in the book of Acts, and then here. And there's two thoughts as to the origination of that word. Some think it started as a, um, a, a derisive term, like little Christ. And there's some support for that. But I think there's another story behind where that name came from. Uh, the little ending, uh, I-A-N, uh, was used in the Roman culture to describe someone who had been adopted into a family. And so let's say there was a family with the name Smith, and I was adopted into that family. I would be known as a Smithian. And so some think, and, and there's support for it, the idea of a Christian is one who's been what? Adopted into Christ. I love that. And, and that even tends to fit the passage where at the very beginning in verse 14 it says, the name of Christ. I've been adopted into that family, and I have a new name, and as one who's been adopted into Christ and taking his name, I'm known as a Christian. And so when we go through a period of suffering, uh, we can trust the one in whose family we belong, and that's the Christ and his spirit who lives in us. Um, going through the rest of this passage here, uh, it says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Can you think of something in Peter's life who wrote this where he might have been ashamed? Anything? When he denies Christ the night before Christ goes to the cross. And uh, in a sense, as Peter is there that night and worried about the persecution around him, he failed. And yet, and if you know the story, how Christ calls him, and uh, after he rises from the dead, calls him, hey, I want to see Peter, and Peter's got to be feeling guilt and embarrassment. He failed. He failed as a leader, and uh, Christ restores him. And I love that he mentions the word shame there. Because probably all of us have times in our life where through our own sin or through a persecution or through a, an opportunity, we failed. And you know what? In Christ there's just great forgiveness. And we can say, you know what? I, I, I messed up last time. But I'm not going to be ashamed to go on forward and to live for Christ. And so Peter says, hey, trust in the Spirit. Don't be ashamed. Uh, but let him glorify God, um, uh, God, uh, that name, for it is the time of judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And so what does that last little paragraph mean? Uh, probably the best way I think to summarize it is this is that you cannot sustain and live the Christian life on your own. For someone who knows Christ, it's hard to live through life and deal with suffering. And for someone who doesn't know Christ, it's impossible. 
and uh, they're going to be lost in the end. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, uh, I hope you understand the message of grace that's in Christ, that through him and through him alone, our sins are forgiven and we have a home in heaven. And, uh, and so he says, trust the Spirit when you go through times of suffering. And then the final part, uh, verse 19. And uh, there's a great statement made here in verse 19. He says this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. And so suffering does not catch God by surprise. Uh, and we learn here, trust the sovereignty of God. Uh, when you, when I go through a period of suffering, it's part of God's plan, and he has a purpose for it. Something that will bring some, uh, about uh, his glory and something that honors him. So it says, according to God's will, entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. So I mentioned uh, earlier, and we saw the clip of Louis Saperini. Uh, in the book that Laura Hildenbrand wrote, uh, it, it goes beyond what the movie does. And uh, after Louis got out of the prison camp when World War II ended, he went back to L.A. and really had a couple rough years. Uh, drinking, family uh, problems in his marriage, relationships, and really went through quite a bit. And then he goes to a Billy Graham crusade and comes to faith in Christ. In 19, I think it's 52, he goes back to Japan and actually addresses... Uh, many of those people, uh, those uh, Japanese guards who were now in prison for war crimes, uh, addresses them and shares the message of God's forgiveness. Uh, the one guard who we saw, Bird, wasn't there. And um, then in 1988, when the Winter Olympics were held in Nagano, uh, Louis was invited to be a torch runner in Japan. And when he goes over there, uh, he had heard that the bird, they thought he was dead, uh, was still alive. And here's a letter that he wrote uh, in getting ready to go over there. He says this, he says, dear bird, or he uses his name, but as a result of my prisoner of war experience, under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. Uh, it was not so much due to the pain and suffering as it was to the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate with a vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner of war, but also as a human being, were stripped from me. Uh, it was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live into the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble. But thanks to a confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love replaced hate that I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. Then he goes on to say, uh, he talks about his visit there in 1952. I asked about you, and they told me you had probably committed Harry Carey which I was sad to hear. At that moment, like the others, I forgave you and now hope that you would also become a Christian. 
And uh, if you read about his life after World War II, after he becomes a follower of Christ, lived into his 90s, and the message of his life from those times of struggle was the message of the forgiveness found in Christ. And I don't know how many people came to Christ because of him. But God had a plan. Through a person who went through severe suffering, God says, I want to take that and I want to use it. Uh, to wrap up, uh, a word in that final verse, he says, according to God's will, entrust. Uh, some translations use the word commit. Uh, it is the same word that was used by Christ on the cross when he says, Father, into your hands I what? Commit my spirit. It's actually a quote from uh, Psalm 31, verse 5. Something that Jewish people would pray every night before they went to bed. Uh, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I want to give you an illustration to wrap up of that word commit. And uh, I brought with me uh, one of these. How many know what that is? How many have ever driven away with one of these? I have, but not this one, okay? I have returned the one I took, but I actually bought this one online. And um, the word commit there is a financial term, and it means to deposit. And so the idea is there, hey, what, what, what is your suffering that you're going through right now? Maybe multiple things. God says, you know what, write it down and deposit it with him. And say, Lord, just like we push the button and this thing shoots up, right? Say, Lord, I'm going to commit it to you. I'm going to be blessed in this time of suffering. I'm going to say, Lord, I volunteer. Use me how you need to use me through this time of suffering. And as it says in that verse, and as Jesus himself did, Lord, I commit my suffering to you for your uh, honor and glory. And folks, I think that's where we find the stability, to go through the good times of life, but also the difficult and suffering times, is we find it when we ultimately say, Lord, 100% in with you, and I commit it to you. Father, thanks for uh, your word, and thanks for the, the challenge of a passage that is not easy, and probably a passage that we would rather say, you know, I'd rather not go through that Uh, and yet father we know that when suffering comes and you tell us it will uh, that in this life there will be suffering Uh, there is a a way for us to maintain a stability in our walk with Christ through the most difficult of times and I pray father that we would not trust in our own wisdom and our own uh, knowledge and um, uh, yet we would commit our lives and our suffering into your hands In Jesus' name we pray, amen.